What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another post-Frightfest Britflix podcast. Today I'm talking Deathgasm, which I think is quite possibly one of the greatest invented words that we saw at Frightfest this year. And who am I speaking to as uh, the filmmaker of Deathgasm? Hey, um, I'm Jason Lee Helden. Yeah, writer and director of Deathgasm. Do you want to give us a, a brief synopsis for those that weren't at Frightfest as to what Deathgasm's all about? Totally. So Deathgasm is a um, full-to-the-wall, splat-stick, horror, comedy, heavy metal movie. Um, and it's basically yeah, two teenage metalheads that evoke this ancient evil and then have to save the world with the power of metal. Um, and also by you know, cutting things with chainsaws and stabbing them with dildos. And... Yeah, that was, that, that sums it up well. That sums it up well. I like the, I like, from the, from the moment I was, I stepped in, the idea that the power of metal is going to save the day was always going to be an enticing one. Yeah. And I think we, we kind of delivered on that. It's like it's, um, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Because it's interesting, I mean, what's interesting for me as a, as, a, as a metal and a horror fan is that it's rarely been done that well. You know, combining the two, there's been, you know, there's been near misses, but it's rare to get it combined well. And I think, you know, hats off to you. You've uh, you've managed to do the two justice in the same medium. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, you're right. Like, um, when you, when you uh, I got asked what my 10 favourite heavy metal horror movies were um, the other day, and it was, um, it was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I, got, I got to about three, and after that, it's like, oh, man, these are all terrible. <laughs> I was going to say, it's an amazing one. Sorry about that? I was saying, I said, I, I, I'm surprised to think that there's, there's 10 to choose from, never mind 10 best ones. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's Trick or Treat, um, there's Black Roses and uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare. But, you know, you start. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a great genre, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love. Heavy metal, I love horror. But when I was a teenager, I was like, um, you know, I wanted to see this movie that had all these things. I wanted a movie that had um, heavy metal. Um, I wanted a movie that had, like, splatter and tits and, like, you know, really good humor. And there really wasn't anything like that. So this is me sort of, like, 
trying to make a movie that I can send back to my 16-year-old self. And, um, yeah. Well, that's hey, nice. there you go. I think that's maybe what you were tapping in for me as well, because in my review, I, just, I, I basically sort of summed it up by saying, you know, beneath the 16-year-old's fantasy notion that listening to heavy metal is the answer to all ills and ailments, you know, your film is yeah. obviously quick-witted, deeply funny, and ridiculously gory. You know, it sort of it pulls it pulls it all off. Um, when you were writing the movie, Jason, um, what what would you say were? I mean, trying to when you're trying to pull together what is obviously a fondness for something, and also deliver on the you know what horror fan, hot, or certainly splatter stick fans would want. What what were the hardest things to resolve in the sort of storytelling for you? Um, well, it was, it was kind of the characters at first, like, uh, originally it was a bit more, uh, I don't know, the characters a bit more like maybe Napoleon Dynamite, sort of, I don't know, like, I, you know, sort of awkward, nerdy humour. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of trying to nail the, the path of Brody and Zach, and I, I actually ended up going back to, like, my own years as a metalhead, and there was this, um, there was this mate of mine. And I, I just moved to this small town. I didn't know anyone. Like, you know, everyone hated Millheads back then. This was like the early 90s. Yeah. And um, I met uh, this other dude started school. And, um, you know, he was, had, had been, um, I think he'd been held behind a few years in school because he was like a head bigger than the other kids. Right. But he was just like arrogant and just like a, a sociopath. And, but it was awesome having someone like that as a mate when you were that age. You know, he, um, and I, I really wanted to be like that guy, and then later I realized he was a total fucking asshole. <laughs> and, um, so that was, that was kind of the, um, uh, yeah, but that, that's kind of where the story came from, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of the character arc. So it's kind of like a little bit, you know, about, um, you know, Colors of Steel, like that, that middle bond, but it's also about, like, um, realizing who you are and where your place is in the world. No, no, totally. I think that's again. I think that's what what you know. Not you know. It's it's often hard when you're trying to take seriously a film that's about you know a, a demonic plague that comes around because someone plays a song. But if you take it as a film, you know, there's a lot of it's it's very heartfelt. You know, you didn't you didn't just bludgeon us with cheap cheap gags and a Beavis and Butthead snigger. You really did bring us something yeah. people to care about. Yeah, totally. I, I want to take it to like another another sort of level and. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, 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 I mean, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to hurry. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of movies that, you know, could could be improved a bit, um, and, and don't, so it's, yeah. <laughs> well, look. Sorry, um, I'm actually trying to, <laughs> trying to play for drunk people who aren't, like, <laughs> um, from the streets here in um, Inverness. Okay, well, we um, You can cut all that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, um, when you know, there's a, there's a lot of um, lot of special effects in this film to, to get the gore in um, and various various other elements. When, when you were looking at script at the start, I mean, given your own given your own experience in in VFX anyway, and, and obviously finances being finite, not not infinite. What what was the, what was the biggest challenges for what was on the page to what you really wanted to get on the screen, and what what sort of creative ideas did you have to come up with to get what you wanted? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of that, a lot of the stuff that was on the page just never even made it to the screen. Okay. Um, I'm incredibly stupid, so I'll just write this, like, 
these crazy set pieces just like the score and um, big special effects and then um, we couldn't do it basically and, and then we actually had this company made in Reactor which were an effects company in Auckland okay. and they did all the effects for the Evil Dead remake which was you know had incredible gore yeah. and they basically just had this um, storage container full of like body parts and you know, like, uh, like throat slits, rigs and stuff, and they were just like, you know, fill your boots. <laughs> so I actually ended up writing the movie around what score we did have. So a lot of the scenes changed, and then... And I, I actually came out of it just, like, kind of despondent, because I was like, you know, we, we didn't film the score that I wanted to film. I had these really cool ideas, and we didn't get to do it. I wanted it to be, like you know, gorier than it was. But then, you know, people have actually reacted quite well to it. They're like, you know, it's, it's really gory, dude. So it's, it's hard when you, you grow up on, like, gore movies and, like, you know, watching stuff like Men from Behind the Sun and, and you know, stuff like that. And, and then you... Whenever you watch... I watch a horror now, it takes a lot to really turn my stomach. So yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just desensitized to it. But, you know, I, th- I think we did pretty good. No, no, and, 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 you know, and I think some of the, with, with that constraint around your set pieces, I, I guess you're retrofitting what you need to achieve in terms of the story and what you had available to you in terms of special effects. I still, I still think it was, yeah, totally. it still felt inventive as you're watching it, you know, you still felt like, I mean, I mean, the, the, um, the sort of, I guess the piece de resistance is the, um, is the dildo anal beads sequence. <laughs> I guess was you was you yes. was you needing to borrow much to set that one up, or was that was that one you able to sort of run free with that one? <laughs> I mean, I have, I have those dildos under my bed. <laughs> um, no, but we, yeah, we we um, yeah, well, there was. Oh, I think the uncle's uh, jaw rip. You know, how he, he stuffs the bellows into the mouth and just yeah. rips the jaw off. That was a rig that we borrowed from our main reactor, uh, but we we dressed it to look like the uncle. Hmm. Um, actual dildos themselves, though, like, I, I remember um, one of our producers uh, came to me because we had an incredibly low budget. Hmm. And he had these tiny little, he, he went and bought these tiny little sex toys that we, you know, the only ones we could afford. Right. And they were just like, these, they were like fluoro, like kind of anal bead things, just, they looked like, you know, the sort of things that you get at like a budget, sort of like, oh, we call them two dollar shop, maybe yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one pound shop here. Yeah. They were just shit. They would have looked so bad. Like, um, and I just, I said, you know, we need like, we need like anal beads that are just like, just ridiculous, like tennis ball size anal beads. We need like <laughs> a huge like requiem from a, for a dream double ended dildo. Cause like, it's just the bigger it is, the funnier it is. So I actually went out and, um, bought them myself out of my own pocket. Um, and yeah, I, I still own them. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone's willing to take those off my hands, then um, I'd be quite happy to sell those on eBay because I really don't want them in my position. <laughs> <laughs> well, one day somebody's going to find them in a box in your wardrobe. What, what have you put on the box? Someone did find them. We had a Derek sale. It's still, it, um, they're still in the same box uh, titled Church Stuff. Yeah. And um, they're still, they're, but now they're covered in blood, so they look even dodgier. Yeah. And um, I had a garage sale... Uh, when I, before I left Wellington in New Zealand. And, um, all these, you know, garage sales, they've gone, like, rummaging through your stuff. Like, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, this guy was, like, 
accidentally left the box in the garage. I didn't even remember that I left it there. And he, he opened it up, saw these, like, bloody dildos, <laughs> closed the box, and just walked straight out. <laughs> and I, so I, I tried to stop him and just explain it over my film, but he was just, he did not want to talk to me, so. <laughs> he so called the police, which is nice. Oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. He just was frightened, not 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 worried anything else. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it was, I can't uh, think it's probably his. Yeah, it's probably his civic duty at this point to like inform the authorities, but whatever. <laughs> well, look, it was. I mean, it was obviously great to see sort of the use of special, uh, the practical effects over sort of CGI. So what, what, why do you think that, that sort of... I mean, I, I, I always think that the, the practical always benefits horror much more than any kind of CGI. Because blood just doesn't... Yeah. Blood doesn't same. seem to carry in, dig, in the digital world like it does, like you, like you need it to. Yeah. I mean, it's, there are horror series, like especially Walking Dead, that use a lot of um, CGI, and for better or worse, you know, I feel like when I'm watching Walking Dead, like, it looks pretty badass. Mm. But... For some reason, the zombies look a bit weightless. It's it's all all the action scenes are a little bit lazy. Like they just they, like Michonne just uh, run up, runs up with a sword and just like lazily swipes near a zombie and his head head falls off. And it, it's you know what I mean. It doesn't yeah, like yeah. It has much weight to it. Yeah, because if he's not and breathing, whereas, like, if you hit, yeah, if you really want to take a zombie's head off, you'd have to put some force into it, and that, that's where. And it's a subtle thing, like it's not a big thing, mm. but it's, I think something, you know, you, your eyes just know that it's just not a, in the same world, and, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think sci-fi has been a lot better from, from CGI, you know, I, I like sci-fi films, and, mm. you know, there's been some amazing sci-fi films, like, you know, Gravity and Interstellar, that, you know. But I, th- but I think it's the blood element, isn't it? I mean, because I remember, I remember being sort of horrified when, it, for the wrong reasons, when when there was various scenes in Survival of the Dead where it was the first time Romero really had gone to town with... Um, yes. With yeah. CGI, and you were kind of like, it looks like wine. It doesn't even look like blood. <laughs> yeah. And, and like there was the, um, Final Destination 3, uh, which was quite, you know, quite good. The roller coaster one. Yeah. Like the, the nail gun effect and... Um, so that had some great gore, and then number four had—I I remember just seeing it. It had every shot was terrible CGI gore, and it was like, yeah. But that—that's the moment where I, I just—I thought this is not going to work. You know, they're going to. Yeah, I mean, that's—you know—I'm a visual effects artist, so for me, it's like um, the whole film was me wanting to do something that wasn't VFX because it's my day job. It's like a chef. They—they they, they go home. They don't want to cook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, how involved did you get yeah, with it in that sense? You know, because I mean, I spoke, I spoke to um, Paul Hyatt about Howell, and he's, you know, he's a design, you know, put designer, uh, you know, set design and, and creature feature stuff, and he made a creature feature as a director. And it's like, how how do you not yeah. get too involved as someone that knows about this stuff while still trying to be the director? Yeah, I mean, there were there were some VFX shots, mainly like um, you know, CG paintouts, like you know. You, you do the shots and then you realize there's some wires on the ground. Okay. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I did end up doing, like, quite a few shots myself. And, you know, all the um, kind of animation sort of stuff as well. Hmm. Um, like, the um, the band names popping up and, like, the the sketchbook stuff. Like, I, I did all that. But, 
Yeah, I mean, Sissy uh, would be awesome. And you actually see, like, quite a few effects artists, like practical effects artists, do turn to, like, directing, like, um, you know, Greg Nicotero. And, yeah, I mean, it is it is quite common in that respect because, you know, they, they know what they're doing on set. And, yeah, for me, it was the whole process of the learning experience. But, fortunately, I had some really talented people that, you know, specialised in that. So it's a case. It's a case of just trying to trying to not get involved and let them get on with it, as it were. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and you know, there, there were situations where it didn't quite work practically, and you know, um, and we had to do things, to do a few pickups, and and just try and find different ways around things. But yeah, well, I, I, a way. <laughs> now, you know, obviously, it's played at Fright Fest, and uh, what's and 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 I. I, I see. I saw you. I saw you around most days. I could see. You know. I could see you were talking to fans and stuff and meeting people. And how was the experience of your of your Fright Fest premiere? Oh, dude, it was amazing. Yeah, it was totally incredible. Like, I mean, I've done quite a few festivals before. Like, the, the last festival I did was Melbourne, which is um, quite a prestigious film festival. But it's yeah. I mean, it wasn't nearly as fun. Like, I I remember I, was, I, was, I chat to directors. Like, I chat to like. The director of you know, The Cove, that film about like uh, the Japanese dolphin killing. Right. And I introduced myself. He's like, and like, what is your film? And I'm like, oh, Death Chasm. And he would like literally went pale and just we we're at a dinner and he just turned to the person on the other side of him, just like, okay, you're a freak. <laughs> I need to stop this conversation. And we're at Fright Fest, it's just like we're all you know everyone there is like a gore hound or a horror buff, and you know we would just we all know the same films, we all know the references, so you don't have to go through that sort of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just so much easier. I just, I, I met so many cool directors, like some, um, and, you know, there were actually a few uh, directors that have been at other festivals, um, and, yeah, I just had a blast, and, and the fans were incredible. Uh, yeah, but it, that, that was the greatest thing, just kind of meeting up with people afterwards, and, it's a, you know, I just love going into that main area at Fright Fest where everyone's just having a beer or just seeing what film it, uh, what you're going to see next. And it's just such a great environment. Yeah, I, I love that. I really, I want to make another film and come back. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be very welcome. Sure you very welcome. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Uh, you say you say you say you describe the script as being sort of of having that semi-autographical uh, content to it. What what aspect of growing up a metal fan are you most proud to have got included in Deathgasm? I think the, the element I'm most proud of is that line that Brody does, where he's trying to explain metal to a non-metal head, and that's that's kind of something I've always wanted to get across to people is. They think that metalheads uh, just listen to angry music and becoming aggressive. Mm. And that what they realize is, like, you know, we, we like this, well, I mean, I'm not saying this about everyone. It's a general, it's, it's a subjective thing, you know, it's a personal thing to me, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people feel the same as I, I listen to metal, you know, I, I listen to metal when I'm having a good day, though, but I also listen to metal when I'm having a shit day. And then the person, you know, the people behind the music, that they feel the same is that it's almost like you, you feel like you're not alone in the world because you listen to like Pantera and Phil Selmo's like 
talking about how shit his day is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, um, yeah, um, I've actually worded it a lot longer, but it's in the movie. But he, but he says, like, yeah, he's basically trying to get get across that, like, metal sometimes makes you feel like you're alone in the world. And, um, yeah, I, I really like trying to, like, get a positive message across to people because it's, it has got a bit of a negative sort of stereotype and some people die. Like, in movies, you see some, some movies there's, like, a, if they need a junkie character or, like, a, a bully character, then they'll have, like, um, this generic sort of metalhead and, like, a Metallica T-shirt and whatever. So, yeah, but that, was, that was my thing. I just wanted to show that, um, you know, yeah, that side of it. And it's interesting that, that you, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you saw uh, that, um, Some Kind of Hate. Did you see that movie? No, it was playing um, alongside it. I, I met Adam, um, and he's here. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. Um, so, the, the director. Um, so, yeah, I'm really keen to see it. Only because, in that film as well, the lead character defines why metal's important. It's, 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 it's yeah. fascinating that two films at Fright Fest this year have both tried to, and very eloquently put, why, why metal sounds good. And why it's, why it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is, well, it's a great film, and um, it, it seems like there's a lot of similar themes, but, like, the delivery approach seems, like, a, just so different. Oh, God, no, no, it's a very different... Sometimes they do things, like... Yeah. It's very different. They're very different movies. Um, it's, just, it's just interesting that both both yeah. both films include a line, which is about how metal gets you through those moments. Oh, wow. I, I didn't actually know that. Like, I, I chatted to Adam um, quite a bit, and, yeah... Yeah, oh, awesome. I mean, I'm really keen to check it out, and I, I, I hope that there's more little um, horror movies. <laughs> maybe, there's a, maybe the trend has started. Well, it's look, great to, yeah, yeah, bring the trend back. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, is there an official release date for, for Deathgasm yet, or are you, are you on tour now, as, as it were, going to festivals? Yeah, so we're uh, heading to Austria, uh, France, and Spain next, and then um, uh, the... The American, I'm um, heading to LA to the LA premiere, which coincides with the BOD release. So that's the, it'll be on like iTunes and, um, you know, all those platforms. Is that in October? Um, November? and in terms of UK DVD and Blu-ray, I think that, uh, Studio Canal's picked it up, so it'll probably be, um, probably early next year, I'd say. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, well, look, let's let's segue in. And actually, the other thing is, you're you, you putting out the soundtrack for the movie. Yes, so we've got a vinyl, um, Death Waltz uh, records are putting out a vinyl soundtrack. It's going to have every metal song um, from Deathgasm on the vinyl. So, which is incredible, because it's like about 26 or 27 metal songs. Yeah. Um, we had to do a double vinyl, because we couldn't put it all on one. That was, And then they asked me to select you know, the best ones, and I was like, I don't know, it just didn't feel right having a soundtrack that was not inclusive, like, just kind of, like, cherry-picking. I just, I felt really weird about it. I just, like, we have to do, like, a, a double album. It's the only way we can really do it. And, um, yeah, so it's going ahead. And is that going to be limited? Um, and limited vinyl? Probably about, I don't know, I guess, guess probably about 2,000 copies. Wow, yeah. okay. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm not sure... If, I order a lot of vinyl from the States myself, and it's, in New Zealand, it's just fucking so expensive. Like, you pretty much have to double the, the price of their album 
for for postage. So I'm not sure if it's only going to be like stateside or if it costs more for people in the UK or whatever. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully, everyone checks it out. And um, it's also going to have like that thing, like um, some some of the punchlines from the movie in between songs, like you know, uh, Return of the Living Dead did that, and uh, Tarantino soundtracks as well. So. Fantastic. Properly, properly living the dream, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, as a bit of, as a bit of fun, let's look at like I, I, I did it, I did this with uh, with uh, Three Inches of Blood a, a while ago when they they were they were over in Britain from Canada, just just trying to sort of separate out sort of the bigger names of uh, of metal into um, into what you prefer and and sort of why that band gets over it. I've tried to pair them in terms of you know closeness. In terms of period that they come out and um, and sort of how they would be associated together, so hopefully this works. Uh, so first, the first, the first pairing for you to who would you who would be who would be your preferred band out of Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin? <laughs> I'm gonna go with Sabbath, and um, the thing is, me and my wife actually have this conversation all the time. She's a huge Zeppelin fan. Um, I love Zeppelin as well, but I just I love Sabbath more. Like it's okay, okay. Well, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's one of those things when you look at their entire body of work. I think Sabbath kind of like that the weight goes towards them. I mean, it's one of those things that you know you can yeah subjective again. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess because in, in some senses, Black Sabbath are like the Beatles of metal, and I think sometimes Zeppelin yeah. don't don't even think of themselves as as part of the metal crowd, do they? Yeah, and so, so, you know, you, you take the, the best Zeppelin songs and they're just so, so incredible, maybe, maybe better than a lot of Zeppelin songs, but then Seventh has just got such a... I, I feel some of the weaker Zeppelin songs kind of pull them down a little bit. You know, they went just so... They're pretty much just total bluesy, you know, towards the end. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, for better or worse. I mean, some people like that, some people don't. Like, I, I personally just, yeah... All right. Well, look, this, this and, and also the imagery. When you look at the imagery that's sort of created around the music as well, um, I think that really it really spurred the genre on. Oh no, without a doubt, I think you're right. I think that you know you can you can root their influence in almost all metal. I think, whereas I think that you wouldn't yeah. say the same about Led Zeppelin. Um, now this this is the one that this is this is the compar- This is the two bands to choose from that really split Three Inches of Blood when I talked to them. Um, who would you prefer to Judas Priest or Iron Maiden? Oh fuck! Don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's. Uh, I'm gonna go with Maiden because I I got into them first, yeah. and they they really. I got into like Death Mill when I first started listening to metal, like Cannibal Corpse, The Victory, and then um. So I just listened to the heavy shit, and then I got um got into like Sabbath and Megadeth after that, and then um and, and I made it as well, and yeah, they really yeah they opened up all the pathways for me, and and yeah, I got into Priest um a little bit later, so maybe, maybe they don't have the same sort of nostalgic value for okay. me. Okay. Um, that, that said, I probably listen to Priest more nowadays, but um. Just probably because I've thrashed Maiden so much. <laughs> um, yeah, that's All my right. reasoning. All right, Metallica or Anthrax? Oh, Metallica. I I've never been big into Anthrax, man. I just um, I've got friends that just love them, and I I, I see the appeal, but mm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I've just, um, I've, I've never really gotten into them. Whereas Metallica, like, is, I've got, you know, three or four albums which I'll just listen to, you know, again and again, you know, every week or I can listen to another Metallica album, you know. No, no, no. I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, Slayer or Pantera? Again, that, that's a really tricky one. Um, it kind of depends on my mood sometimes, you know, like, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with Slayer, I think. Um, yeah, you know, um, Rain of Blood, amazing, um, just, just such a fantastic record. And I would, I would say that's all, I'd, yeah. say, I'd say Rain in Blood is the perfect thrash record, to be honest with you. I actually had um, uh, Raining Blood, the, the last track of the album. Um, I cut the, um, I kind of like a teaser sort of trailer for Get Gism, just like cut together heaps of other movies. Yeah. And uh, my horror movies and took a treat just to show the producers like what I wanted to do. Right. And then I cut it to Raining Blood. Cause it's like, that's the perfect metal song to cut horror to. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and, 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 uh, hopefully yeah. one day I'll... Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I'm guessing I'm guessing Slayer doesn't come cheap to put on a soundtrack, does it? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's where we um, <laughs> that's where the whole thing comes unstuck. <laughs> now, look, you, this one of these bands you did get on the soundtrack. So, Burzum or Emperor? <laughs> I'll go with Emperor. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I think don't get me wrong. I think I would have had Burzum on the soundtrack if, if I could have got the rights because I, I do love Burzum and. Um, despite the kind of controversy these days, like, it's been a bit of like a, a pushback, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, true, um, true. obviously, but kind of like, uh, weird sort of white supremacist thing going on, which I totally don't condone, but, it, it, yeah, the, I was actually talking about Burzum, um, and Vibe, like, um, at Fright Fest with you guys, with the other middleheads, and the way I said it, it was like, you know, Roman Plansky, you know, he's a, he's a total bastard, mm. but, like, he's made some incredible movies, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for, for loving some of his movies, but you, you have to separate the artist from the art, and, um, you know, that you can you can love the art, but you can hate the artist, and, um, yeah, but, you know, I'm an emperor, um, I think, um, and the Night of Eclipse is one of my all-time, you know, like, top five albums, um, I just think it's an incredible piece of work, and it, it took Black Metal in general to another level. Hmm. Yeah, love them. <laughs> and then finally, Morbid Angel or Dark Angel? Um, Morbid Angel, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an amazing band. Like, like I said before, I, I, you know, started getting into, um, the early sort of death stuff, like, um, and, you know, the Florida stuff was, that, that was my metal of choice when I was, like, in, um, in, in my, um, early teens and, Orbit Angel, Deicide, A Tree, yeah, all those sort of bands. So, but they were definitely, yeah, love them. We <laughs> almost had an Orbit Angel song on the soundtrack as well, but um, the record company just like um, stopped answering my emails at the last minute. Yeah, yeah, because I guess I guess they they're, they're a major label, aren't they? So I guess it would be it would be uh, it, it would be hard to get their stuff. Um, well, yeah, for me, totally. But for me, Chuck, Chuck, I, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. No, I was going to say Chapel of Ghouls for me was my kind of that was my sort of segue away from non from thrash to sort of death death metal and black metal. Yeah. It definitely. I mean, I remember, right. I, 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 I remember getting the Earache Records put out a sampler 
which had a which had yeah God flesh on it, morbid angel, repulsion, bolt thrower. It was a fantastic sort of you know way to take you away from the the more popular thrash metal as it were in the late eighties. And then it was kind of like more potential. Yeah, I, totally. I always saw Chapel of Ghouls as sitting alongside Rain in Blood, but obviously one was not nearly as popular as the other. <laughs> no. Now, for me, I, I love um, uh, Bliss of the Six. Uh, and um, was it Alton's Madness? That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, incredible. And then, yeah, they, they went kind of <laughs> went through like kind of weird few stages recently, but. <laughs> I think they end up, I think we'll see, you end up we'll taking. I was going to say, I think you can end up taking... Sometimes metal can take itself a bit too seriously uh, when, it, when it wants to. Yeah. Well, look, finally, finally, the one question I'd like to ask everybody is to tell me their Brit- favourite British horror movie. Uh, um, this, this one's incredibly hard. I'm going to have to go with um, uh, Dr. Thieves. Okay. The um, uh, Vincent Price. Um, it's about Thieves, isn't it? The what, sorry? Yeah, Dr. Thieves. Uh, yeah, the um, you know Vincent Price, um, uh, amazing. Yeah, uh, great, great movie. The first one, especially, I actually like the the sequel as well. Um, which is interesting because it's um, when you look back on them, it's, you can see the um, blueprint to movies like um, Saw, where it's um, it's got all those kind of contractions to like like kill people, like the binoculars with the. Um, uh, the, the spike coming out of them, and yeah, um, but yeah, I, I love all the theatrics, and um, you know, Vincent Price is incredible. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm putting down like so many other British movies there, and there's all, all the incredible Hammer movies, and yeah. Well, look, no, no, um, I only ask for. I mean, because because we're, we're Britflix, and usually I only cover British movies. You see, so for Fright Fest. I get to step outside the usual remit, and so I like to bring the podcast back or message at the end. And I think it's it's not fair yeah. to ask any of you to to just pick one, but you know it, I've I've got a good selection. And actually, I'd never thought about Doctor Fives with that kind of idea of it being an influence on Saw. So next time I watch it, I, yeah. I'll be with a new pair of eyes. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And um, yeah, obviously played by um, an American actor. Doctor mm-hmm. Fives was American, wasn't he? Yes, but um, I think I read somewhere that, that a British actor was up to that role, but I'm, I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, I'll, um, yeah, I have to Google that before I start making wild accusations. But another one that I've seen recently that um is also just amazing is um The Wicker Man. Um, just yeah, fantastic movie, and actually one of one of my favourite Christopher Lee performances. Um. Well, you, you, know, yeah. you know, you know, it was his favourite film. Why the Wicker Man? No, 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 didn't I? I um, I rewatched really that just after he died because I've, I've seen it, you know, um, hates, but I, I haven't seen it in the last few years. I rewatched it after he died, and it's yeah, it still, still just holds up so well. No, no, he always, he always maintained that was his favourite role he ever played. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, 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 I've said, I've said this to you. I've said this on other on other on other podcasts in the run up to the uh, the festival. I was in the week that Christopher Lee died. A local pop up cinema to me, we were showing Wicker Man, and Robin Hardy came for a Q and A. Uh, and I got right. to sit, I got to sit and watch the film with him, like sat next to him, while he told me what he liked about certain scenes, as like whispering to me as he's, as the film's going on. 
if I could, if I could have talked oh, to my, if I could have talked, said to my twenty-year-old self that was going to happen, I think I'd have freaked out. But it was amazing, and he was it's amazing. Oh man, and he did a Q and A afterwards, and he was like eighty-five, but still sharp as a knife. You know, he he, he still wants to make movies, yeah. and he still enjoys oh, the so love. Cool. That, he still enjoys the love that Wickerman gets because it's the thing about Wickerman is it almost defies genre, and it's also an absolutely elegant movie. You know, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it just had this kind of weird sort of ambiguity, almost a dreamlike sort of. Is, is, is what you know? Is, is what he's seeing real, or I don't know that it's um, yeah, not fantastic. And then there was the Nicolas Cage remake. Which I've, ne- I've never <laughs> seen. I, I, I refuse to see it. Uh, but no, I mean, oh, I've, I've, I've heard I've heard too much of it to know. I've, I've seen a clip of it, and that was enough. But I think that I think the, the most the, yeah. biggest, the biggest revelation from the Q and A was. Because I've always I've always read the film as being an anti-Christian movie, but Robin Robin Hardy went on to tell us that it actually played very well in the Southern States of America. Because, yeah. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because they believed the Edward Wood character was the ultimate martyr. The fact that he never he never renounced his right. God, he never gave up, which is a really different way of seeing Wicker Man. That's yeah, like, totally. Wow, I don't really think of it that way, but yeah. It's like a Jesus Christ, like a Jesus Christ parable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing! Yeah. So there you go. Well, look, thank you very much for taking time out of your uh, your leisure time, as it were, while you're in between festivals. Much appreciated, at Britflix. Oh, that's cool. I'm um, great chatting, and um, yeah, fantastic. Well, look, good um, the yeah, hopefully, um, yeah, it's also, um, I think it's playing and um, just coming out to a few other UK festivals. Um, What's the one in Manchester? Is it Grimfest? Ah, uh, it's yeah. Grim, Grimfest. Yeah, so we we just got enough for that. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'll be speaking to them before that festival. Get them on the podcast. So uh, that should be all fine and dandy. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. And I, I think um, yeah, hopefully um, a few other a few others as well. So um, yeah, it, fingers crossed. It, but... Is it playing at Sitches? Yes. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, fella. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.